Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. Today we are joined by Gaia. Hello. I like to start from the very beginning. How did you first get involved with tabletop RPGs? Uh, well, first one was good old uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons number one, back when I was a teenager. I think it was in 1985, if I remember right. Um, and uh, some of my nerdy friends introduced me to this game, and I've been playing ever since. Do you still play with any of the same people from your first party? I do. My One of my current DMs is my first person who was my first DM. Um, actually, I've got a whole bunch. My, my husband was one of my early DMs as well. So... It's, yeah, I've connected with a lot of these people for from through RPGs and stayed friends with them for a long time. Do you remember what your first adventure was? I don't remember the whole thing, but I do remember that there was Dark Elves involved. And I do remember my first three characters, one of whom was a woman who was a th- rogue, I think. And then there was two twin males who were a paladin and a cleric. And unfortunately, the paladin died uh, by materializing halfway through a door. Was that the first character death you'd experienced? That was, and I still remember it quite well. And what was the lesson you took away from that? Well, (laughs) I haven't used a lot of the gaseous form potions since then, so I don't know if that was the right lesson, but that was uh, something I haven't used a lot since. Did the GM break the news to you gently? When your character died? He's never been a particularly gentle DM. He, he he expects us to be sharp and on the ball and manage it. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't nasty about it, but he wasn't gentle about it either. So after Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, what did you move on to? Uh, I think the next one was the second edition, and I do remember Thacko, and everybody hated Thacko. And then after that, we started to expand a bit into lots of other RPGs. Uh, we tried back then, I think we did Rifts, or one of the more general ones, I think it was Rifts. Uh, we did Cult, we did Call of Cthulhu, we did some of the World of Darkness ones, Mage and Werewolf and all those guys. Um, I really liked the magic system in Mage, even though it was kind of complicated, it was kind of fun. Now, you liked it as a player, but do you think you would like it as a GM? Uh, I think it would be kind of hard of hard to run the game as it was back then. I mean, I haven't played the new edition of those. I know that they have uh, newer editions, and I don't know if they've simplified that at all. But um, it was kind of complex, and it was a lot for the DM to handle. So I understand you're still fairly new to GMing yourself. What was your first experience GMing? Uh, well, I think I might have run one way back when we were a teenager, but I don't really remember that very well, and I imagine it wasn't very good. Um, but recently, I've just started getting into it. I did a Savage Worlds three-part uh, superhero, well, actually super-villain adventure uh, for some of my friends, and I'm getting ready. I'm hoping to do a couple of D&D games coming up. I would like to introduce my son to D&D, so I've got a few people who are willing to play with us um, for that one, and I'm trying to find an adventure that will be a good introductory thing, but won't be too sort of dark and scary uh, for a nine-year-old. Was there a particular reason why you chose Savage Worlds for your first GMing experience? It was actually because at that point, uh, my main gaming group at that point, we had all take we were all taking turns uh, running short adventures in Savage Worlds of one kind or another. There was one that was uh, my husband ran that was set in the 1930s. I did the the uh, supervillains one where basically all the superheroes had been killed off. 
anyway, we all we all did some variation on Savage Worlds because it was a, a fairly simple system, and there was a couple of people who were who were new uh, trying it out. What led you to want to run a supervillain focused game? I just thought it would be fun and a, and a bit different than the usual kind of thing. I mean, we didn't technically they're supervillains, but there wasn't a lot of super evil stuff that happened as such in the game. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see how people play when they don't necessarily have to follow this good adventure. But nobody did anything super, super nasty, at least in the sm- small three-part uh, system that we ran. What was the primary plot hook for it? Basically, that this uh, mega supervillain kidnapped them and forced them to help uh, him find... He was trying to find this secret... Uh, alien battery thing under the ground and they he sent these guys to go do it because he wanted somebody as cannon fodder and he didn't want to do it himself um so yeah that was the that was how they got sucked into it and how did that campaign turn out uh it seemed to go really well actually i had they as people do when they play they wandered off the main storyline um that was in the book so i had to make up a bunch of stuff on my own but that was fine and uh i had fun improvising some areas that they they wandered off in that weren't in the book uh, and trying to find a balance of uh, creatures and people for them to fight without making it too easy or too hard. In retrospect, is there anything you wish you would have done differently? Um, well, I'm, I'd like to be able to do more variation in voices. It's not something I'm terribly comfortable with because I'm a shy person, but it would be fun to be able to learn to do that because um, I think it does help with immersion to be able to change change yourself up a bit. Have you considered using any tools like a voice modulator or even just simple text-to-speech? That's a neat idea. I hadn't actually thought of that. Um, that certainly would work for some situations, um, like a Savage Worlds. Uh, I don't know if, how it would work in D&D, but it could be interesting. Uh, it's not something I've seen done or had considered, but it's certainly an interesting idea. Getting prepared for running Dungeons & Dragons... How does the challenge of being a GM differ from Dungeons and Dragons to Savage Worlds? Interestingly, I think I, I'm even though Dungeons and Dragons Five is a newer system, and I'm still getting used to some of it. I am more comfortable in that universe because I have played D and D for a long time. Um, whereas Savage Worlds, even though we had played a little bit, was a relatively new system for me. Um, so I think it's a bit of a, a comfort level uh, doing D and D. Now, going back, uh, you say you have a nine-year-old? Yes. Do you think telling uh, kids stories for bedtime has prepared you for GMing and telling your players stories? I think it does a bit. I mean, I've always... I've always been around kids. I was, you know, I took care of my younger siblings because I was quite a bit older than them, and I've always been around kids and telling kid stories to kids. And I like to write, um, so I've always been a bit of a storyteller. And I think it does help to have that background. When your son starts playing, would you have him play with the main group, or would you do just a little side quest to ease him in? Well, we've got the a side group uh, that we're going to try it with, which is basically him. Uh, his dad, um, my godson who is 16, and my sister's boyfriend who hasn't played in a while wants to try D&D again. He hasn't played 5th edition. Does the 16-year-old play? 
He does. He's part of the main group. Uh, his dad is the person who was my first GM, um, and is my current GM, one of my current GMs still. Have they ever played a father and child character in one of your RPGs? They haven't, because usually the, the, the father likes to be in control, so he likes to be the GM. It's, he does occasionally, uh, play, but he prefers to be the one who creates the world. You haven't settled on a setting for the potential Dungeons and Dragons run, though? No, I have not uh, settled on, on a setting. I'm, uh, one of the settings I'm interested in, but it would be too dark for this one, is uh, Into the Abyss, but I'm looking for something gentler. Have you considered putting it in a non-fantasy setting, or is that a setting that you're just comfortable with? Yeah, I think I'm more comfortable with the fantasy setting, and it seems to be what he's interested in as well, because he's seen us uh, play D&D, because we do it here sometimes, and uh, he's watched a little bit of, of Critical Role and things like that with me, and that seems to be the one that interests him. What would you want his main takeaway from playing the game to be? Uh, well, I'm hoping he'll get the same things out of it that I do. Team building and problem solving and working together. So you've been playing Dungeons and & Dragons and other RPGs since the mid-80s, it sounds like. Yep. How do you keep from getting tired of the fantasy setting? Well, it's always this, uh, reading fantasy stories and playing fantasy games has always been something that interests me. And I guess just different playing different storylines even though it's all fantasy, has kept me interested. Are there any fantasy works that you draw inspiration from in particular? Uh, well, I've always loved The Lord of the Rings. The books and the movies are, are, are some of my favorites uh, stories. I've always quite enjoyed those, and the visuals of the movies are gorgeous. Um, so I, that, that really appeals to me. You had talked about wanting to do voices more... Mm -hmm. and other things to increase the immersion for the game. Is there anything in particular that you would do for this upcoming game? Um, I don't think I'm comfortable enough yet to do a lot of different voices. I might play with it a little bit, but I'm not going to go too far off of my own. What has your main GM done over the years to help with the immersion for the groups you've played in? Well, he does all sorts of stuff. He's a very creative person. Um, I was kind of think he might have should have gone into something a bit more artistic for a job but uh he has created objects for our games he has uh created dreams that he emails to us for our characters um he he does all sorts of stuff to to keep the immersion uh he has puzzles uh which are quite complex and sometimes go over multiple uh, storylines um he's made he actually made a spell book for one of our magic users in the current campaign do you have a favorite thing he's done well, uh, <laughs> demented guy that he is, uh, he actually made me a loot for my bard character that I'm running right now. Now, it's not a terribly functioning loot, which is fine, because I'm not actually a musical person, but it does look cool. If you could make one thing for your son, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Well, he's going to play a rogue, um, but I'd have to wait and see where he goes with it and how he builds his character. Now, having him play a rogue seems like it may not be the best way to teach him team-building skills. It's true, that, but you can be sort of a, a rogue with a heart of gold, I guess. Um, 
But yeah, that could get interesting. Uh, but that's going to be an interesting thing to teach him moral decisions, too, of, you know, do you do, you do this thing that your rogue might do, but the rest of the party might not like? Um, that's going to be, I think, an important thing for him to learn as well. How about keeping the fantasy world separated or his character separated from himself? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I have no idea how that's going to work. I mean, he's he's a pretty sharp kid, um, so hopefully he won't have too much trouble with that. Uh, but I will definitely keep an eye on it and make sure that it stays separated and that you know there's a there's a clear line. Maybe I might make it a little little bit less immersive for him as an introductory thing, but then later on, if he continues to play, it would become more immersive. Do you have a favorite character that you've played as over the years? Well, there's been lots of really interesting characters, and I've created a lot of characters that I didn't actually play, because I quite enjoy the whole process of backstory and character creation. I do quite like the bard that I'm playing now, because I haven't played a lot of bards, because in the older editions, they unfortunately weren't very powerful. Um, But I I quite enjoy running around doing vicious mockery and things uh, with my bard. Does your GM require you to actually mock somebody viciously? Yeah, I have to come up with insults, and I usually have a, a, a couple of websites pulled up with Shakespearean insults or whatever kind of insults I can I can dig up that day um, so that I have some ideas. I had to tell an epic story in one episode because we were trying to entertain a pub full, well, distract a pub full of people, and he had me actually try and tell a story, which was interesting. Have you had to bust out any thine mother jokes? I have not. I have not done that yet. I may do that at some point just to be different and see how people react to it. But mostly it's been sort of Victorian insults or Shakespearean insults just for fun. Do the games you play in generally have a ending to them? Or is it a lot of get started and then lose momentum? Uh, we've had both. Uh, unfortunately, with some of the ones that when we did other universes like World of Darkness um, and Call of Cthulhu, those ones did kind of just sort of peter out. But I think that had to do more with where we were in our in our lives and we had less time to play uh, not necessarily on purpose but certainly with the the GM who was my first GM and who is my main group still now he has pretty clear storylines and they usually do finish what sort of time do you have lately to put into an RPG session it is getting better now i mean it's hard when you have a kid who's young uh we weren't able to play as often but now that he's getting older and he's able to go and visit people and do things with other people I, I, we play with our main group. Uh, we try and do it about once a month. And then um, the other groups are less frequent, maybe once every three months, depending on uh, people's availability. It sounds like your GM likes adding immersive elements to a storyline. When your son was a baby, did he give you an escorting a baby in character quest? <laughs> Uh, well, he probably would have if he thought of that, but no, he did not actually do that. Um, I'm trying to remember if when he, when Kiddo was very, very small, if I was playing with him at that time. I think I might have been playing in a different campaign with, uh, another friend of ours, uh, at that time, which was a D&D 4 campaign. So, and that wasn't, that was more of a hack and slash. Uh, watching Critical Role and, and some of those other shows has, is what interested me in getting, in getting back into a more role-playing style of, of RPG and uh, starting up stuff with this, my original GM, because he was interested in, in learning it as well. Has your original GM ever run the group through a freeform RPG? 
He has not. I think he's a bit of a control freak, so I don't think he would enjoy a free-form RPG. But there are certainly some of us in our group who would. And we have talked about trying to run one. Um, I have the rules for a fiasco, for example, um, and a few other free-form, more free-form RPGs. And I think uh, my husband and myself and a couple of other friends of ours would probably enjoy doing something like that at some point if we can find the time. We've certainly discussed it, but we haven't actually tried it yet. Where did you learn about Fiasco? Uh, Will Wheaton and Tabletop. Uh, I'm, I love tabletop games, period, RPGs and board games, so I've always watched that since it started. And it looked like a lot of fun when they played Fiasco. Do you have an ideal setting for a game of Fiasco? That's tricky because there are so many, um, and I have gotten a few when they were on, on sale on DriveThruRPG or places like that, or parts of bundles. Um, I'm not sure what would be an ideal one. I mean, I like the, I've like always liked the sort of gangsters 30s type setting, uh, noir type stuff, which is why we ran One Savage Worlds with that. That would be kind of fun. Uh, we haven't done a lot of sci-fi future-y stuff, uh, though we did play Star Wars at one point, so it might be fun to go in that direction, because um, it's not something we've done a lot of at this point. Does your group have a lot of sharing of, hey, check this out, hey, check this out type of activity? Oh, yeah, we're always emailing our, uh, each other. Um, some of them aren't on social media, so we just tend to do stuff by email, uh, although I'm on way too much social media myself. But yeah, I'm I'm a kind of person who likes to get links and dig around and read stuff. So uh, I'm often finding things and sending things to people, and sometimes they'll send stuff as well. What's the most interesting thing that somebody has sent you recently? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, it's been a little busy with Christmas time, so we haven't had as much of that going on. Uh, oh. There was a link that I saw, I can't remember if it was, I found it myself or if somebody sent it to me, but there was a link about uh, RPGs that are coming out in 2017, um, some of which I already knew about, but some of which I didn't, uh, which sound quite interesting. Um, I'm, I was a backer for the Open Legend Kickstarter, for example, and that's coming up next year. And I found out that there's a new, uh, there's a fifth edition of uh, the world, well, the ones that used to be World of Darkness games. Is there anything about Open Legend that draws you to it as a player? Well, I think it's it's sort of almost free. It's sort of heading towards freeform, while still having some structure. It's more storytelling based rather than mechanics or rules based. And again, I've been watching them play that on uh, on Hyper RPG. So it's it's it seems like a nice system with a lot of flexibility. And we have a few people who like uh, a huge amount of variety. We have one player who tends to sort of change characters partway through a game sometimes if she can. Um, so I'm hoping something like Open Legend, which has a lot of flexibility in terms of what you can do, uh, will will help interest people like that. Does that amount of flexibility seem daunting to GM? I think it could be tricky, uh, but I'm hoping that it'll sort of help me uh, with learning to improvise a bit more and... Um, learn some of the techniques that I that I would need to do a bit more freeform stuff, because it, it interests me. It just makes me nervous at the same time. Now, you mentioned watching Open Legend on Hyper RPG. Yes. Does that also create a roadblock where you don't feel like you'd be able to live up to their game? 
Um, a little bit, but not too bad. I mean, my, my friends, most of them, I've known them and I've been playing games with them for a long time. So there's, a, there's a pretty high level of comfort, comfortability with them. It would be daunting to play with a completely new group. Absolutely. For sure. Um, but I'm lucky that, you know, we're, we know each other pretty well. We're pretty forgiving and we're, we're okay helping each other out, um, with new systems and stuff like that. So it's not too intimidating. I, I certainly wouldn't be comfortable streaming it or anything like that. Has your group in the past done any streaming or recording? I think there was one year on Tabletop Day where we recorded a little bit of our game, but I don't think we ever uploaded it anywhere. We're all fairly shy, uh, and some of, some of us are quite private people. So I think some of us would consider it, but some of us would be too private and uh, find it uh, somewhat intimidating. When you were a GM for Savage Worlds... Did the normal GM of the group participate as a player? Yes. Uh, well, the original, the person who started out as GM for that group, that's part of the reason we ended up uh, sliding into Savage Worlds. So that was the person who had uh, been our DM for the fourth edition D&D uh, for a few years, and then he got sort of tired of being the, the GM. So we decided to figure out a new way of doing it. So we decided we would each take a turn, and we would try with Savage Worlds. Um, so there could be... Each person could choose which world, which version of Savage Worlds they did, um, so nobody was tied to one system or one time period. And yes, he did play as a player. You had mentioned he can be a bit of a control freak. Did that seem to come into play with him as a player? Um, that's uh, that's a different. The, so the original GM uh, that we're playing fifth edition with is a different one, and that's the control freak. This guy, uh, the guy who did our, our fourth edition hack and slash, is a, is a different fella, and he's not as controlling. So I think it was pretty good. Although if there was one of the Savage Worlds games where our controlling DM was a player, and yeah, the, it was tricky to try and steer him away from sort of taking too much control of the game, even as a player which is always a, a bit of a, a tricky thing to do because you don't want to be mean to anybody, but you don't want to let one person take over either. It has to be sort of a group effort. What did you do as GM to mitigate that? I would usually try and steer the activity to, say, one of the, uh, a proficiency of one of the other players, for example, or to steer away from uh, what he was, if he was taking too much control, give them other options, give them other ideas, or, or aim something at one of the other players. Do you like having one spotlight at a time? I think it's easier to have that, but it doesn't always, it's not always the only way to do it. Um, I, I think you can have a couple of people in the spotlight as long as it's not too overwhelming. Like, if, if you want sort of have everybody vying for the spotlight, it can be too much for everybody at the table. But a couple of people is fine. One, one or two um, at a time is fine. There are any other games from Hyper RPG that have piqued your interest? Well, I watch all the RPGs. I'm a big sucker for that. I wish I understood more about uh, Battletech, uh, because I really... I have never... That's the one system type of system I've never gone into. I've not, not gotten into any kind of war games. And I try to avoid minis games because I'm a, a bit of an obsessive collector. So if I start doing one of those, I'll end up spending way too much money on, on minis. Um, so I don't know a lot about DFA, uh, Death From Above, and Battletech. But it is fun to watch because they do have... They have inserted an RPG piece to the to the battle mechs. 
Um, and so it's kind of fun, even though I don't understand the system that well. Shadowrun I have played when I was younger, and so at least I have some concept of that system. Uh, and I quite enjoy it. I do, I, I played Cyberpunk and Shadowrun both. Um, I think it was second edition, uh, back in the day. So th- those are fun. I quite enjoy that. Um, and I like some of the one-offs and some of the silly stuff that they've done. Uh, like the, I quite enjoyed the Paranoia episode that they did. I do have the books for that. I'd like to try that at some point. Do you think your turn as a GM changed how you played as a player? I think it did. It's hard to say all the ways that it does, but I think maybe being being the GM and also watching uh, our controlling GM play uh, as a player and try and take a bit too much control sometimes has, has made me more aware when I'm a player to not try and sort of hog, to try and not hog the spotlight too much and make sure that other people get a chance to participate, even some of the, the ones who are more nervous or newer or shyer or for whatever reason don't always speak up as much, um, try and pull them out of their shells a little bit. Do you have any advice for GMs on how to help get people out of their shells? Well, the same thing uh, Matt Mercer does on Critical Role is good, where you try and sort of essentially talk to the player as the NPC who's talking to the player. It's sort of, they uh, they instinctively will answer back as the player, hopefully, um, and that helps them pull pull out of their shell a bit. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few things you can do. Um, I think having some of the immersive items, like a puzzle or something where everybody has to work together, can help help people pull people out of their shells as well. For your campaign, did you have many puzzles? Uh, I've only done one so far, and it wasn't too complicated because I'm. It's just something I'm getting used to doing myself. I've actually written a couple of stories with puzzles in them as well to try and get used to that idea and how how you put those things together. Uh, but I would like to incorporate more of them for sure. Now, being a writer can be a great boon to a GM because it helps you write a fuller world. But do you have any trouble going from being a writer who can dictate what happens to being a GM who needs to not dictate what happens? I think probably a little bit at the beginning I did have that, but because I've watched other other people like Chris Perkins and Matt Mercer and other other folks who are pretty good at that kind of stuff, I've been able to try and adapt what they do so that I just sort of let the game flow and I can, you know, if there's an element that I really want to include, I can try and sort of find another place to incorporate it later on if they go in a different direction. So I don't want to railroad them and I know it's not much fun to be railroaded as a player because our controlling DM does do that occasionally. Um, So I really try not to do that as much as I can. Is there anything you do to keep yourself from railroading? Uh, I try and keep lots of notes and little and lots of little options um, available, and uh, just try and remember to to focus on the players and let them have as much fun as they can, and let them use their imagination because they, that's an important part of it is what they want to do and what they think and what they feel. If you had the option to be a player in any of Hyper RPG's games. Which would you choose? Huh, that's a good question. Um, well, uh, right now, I'd probably try Open Legends, because um, I, I think Bronze is a very interesting, uh, Bronze Girl is a very interesting gym, and again, it has some, some flexibility, so it would let me be a character that perhaps I haven't tried before, uh, which would be kind of fun. Try some new stuff. And what if you had to run one of the games? Oof. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question, too. 
if I had time to read the books, it would be fun to, to do Shadowrun again because I haven't played Shadowrun in, or, you know, I have never run a Shadowrun game, but I haven't played uh, or dealt with Shadowrun in quite a while. But it would be neat to get back into it because it was something I, I quite enjoyed when we did play it. But I know it's a bit of a complex, rule-heavy system. If you could introduce an RPG into their programming, which one would it be? I gotta say, I really loved uh, Valiant, and I'm, I know that they're talking about doing a, sort of a season two of that, and I think that that would be a really interesting one uh, to be involved in. If they got a, if they got a new system completely, well, they don't have D and D, but they don't necessarily need D and D because there's a, so many different D and D systems out there right now. Um, maybe a, a World of Darkness campaign might be fun. Um, Major Werewolf or, or one of those guys. Is there any particular combination of talent that you would want to see on the show? Oh, they're all so good in their own ways. Uh, I really loved, I don't know if you saw, they, they had their, their uh, Shadow Run one-off last night where Tony ran a basically made-up game from the 90s. It was very freeform. Um, and I, I really like Tony. I think he's a lot of fun. Claudia has wonderful energy. Uh, Bronze is really sharp. I like uh, I like a lot of the players. Um, I like Chris, the guy who ran uh, the Renegade show. And some of those zombie Orpheus guys. I, I have no idea how they're going to do that new show they're talking about where they're going to do sort of a live RPG uh, improv thing where people can affect it in the chat. That looks really, really hard to control and to run and to keep track of what's going on. I I, uh, I don't envy them that. What do you think would be the biggest stumbling block for you to get into streaming one of your RPG sessions? Oh, uh, probably my shyness. I mean, I'm a, I'm a very shy person. Even, I mean, for some reason with voice, I'm a bit, bit more comfortable, but anything visual makes me very, very nervous. Um, I have done a couple of little videos on YouTube and things like that, but it's, it's, it took me a long time to sort of build myself up to be able to do them and, and also to build myself up to be able to post them and share them. There's something very personal. Uh, about that, uh, even more so than something that's just voice. And somehow I'm just, I'm more comfortable with text, um, and, and have been for a long time. I've been on the internet, well, since before it was called that, uh, probably since 93. So, uh, I've always been more comfortable writing and, and text, text-based stuff. So visuals would make me quite nervous. It would be, I'd have to have the right group of friends to do it with me, I guess. That would help. Is most of your regular RPG group also full of writers? Uh, well, uh, certainly that, the, the guy who's the first my GM and, and my main GM is a writer as well. I'm trying to think of some of the other people in that group. Uh, we have one who's an artist. It's an interesting group because, uh, right now it's, uh, the, the GM who is my original GM, myself, uh, who are all, uh, and his wife who, uh, all three of us have been friends for a long time. And then three, uh, teenagers, one of them is their son, who's my godson and, uh, two, two girls, we're also 16. So it's a it's an interesting mix of people. Is your current GM fairly good about opening the world up to collaborative world building? He's not great, but we haven't really, none of us have really pushed for that. He has let the artist do some interesting uh, stuff to help with it, because uh, she's quite a good artist, actually. Uh, she's done character portraits for us, and she's helped him do some maps and stuff like that, uh, which is kind of fun. Would you prefer collaborative world building, or do you like having it told to you? I think that that would be an interesting thing to to do. Uh, collaborative can be quite fun, but I can also I'm also being a bit of a, of a control freak sometimes. 
it it would be it probably be good for me to learn to do a bit more collaborative stuff because it can be tricky when you when you want to have things in a certain direction. When was your group's biggest disagreement? Oh, oh, there was one session last year with that main group where I'm trying to remember what happened. Oh, yeah, again, it was the railroading thing. Uh, so basically, the session started out and we basically got told what happened, and uh, none of us really got much of a chance to react or to do anything in in uh, as our characters to to react against what was happening or do anything about it. Uh, and it was basically, you know, this happens, this happens, this happens, and this is the situation you're now in. And uh, my, my best friend, who's one of the, the players, uh, was really upset with the, the GM at that point. And we, had, we all had a bit of a talk afterwards, um, and he's been better about that since then. But yeah, that was, that was frustrating for us because some of our characters had things that could have perhaps helped alleviate the situation so that it didn't end up where it did end up. Did you stop the session right away, or did you talk about it afterwards? Uh, we didn't stop it right away, and uh, I could certainly tell that she was very frustrated for the rest of the game. Uh, maybe we should have, um, but it was it was it was pretty much immediately afterwards. And what about a moment where you felt the most like a cohesive adventuring team? I think that was actually a pretty recent thing. One of the things that happened, because the GM likes to mess with our minds somewhat, um, he, uh, basically my character's backstory, she had a, a lost, long lost twin brother that she actually thought was dead. And he had it so that I got captured by some people, my character, and put into a, a prison area, and I found my twin brother there. And there was no way that the, just the two of us ha- had any ability to get out, so that we had to. Uh, the team had to figure out a way to get into us, and then we had to figure out uh, collaboratively, collaboratively, uh, collaboratively how to get out of that situation again without getting caught by the, the main bad guy who was much, much more powerful than our characters. Did you get any bonuses from the good teamwork that you guys had, or was it purely personal feelings of pride? Uh, it was both. He He is pretty good about rewarding creativity and you know, teamwork and things like that, rather than just giving you experience for fighting. Uh, he is he is pretty uh, pretty reasonable about giving that kind of uh, XP. So we did we did get rewards, but it was also a nice thing that we we felt we worked well together as a team because it's not always easy when you have a, a group that's quite different like that, uh, at different ages and different experiences. But uh, it did it did turn out quite well. While playing with this current group, have you had any situations where? The story was going in a direction that made you a bit uncomfortable. It hasn't been too bad. There was there was one point where we were a bit concerned that, uh, again, that a, a large bad guy was going to show up when we were still quite a low level. But luckily, that was mostly just sort of gossiping and in the background. Uh, it wasn't something that we actually had to deal with until we were uh, a few levels higher, which is good. But we were we were a bit nervous when we were hearing about dragons at second level because we weren't quite ready for that. Have you ever done anything like that in your game just to heighten the tension? I haven't yet because I haven't had a lot of experience, but I think I will probably try a bit of that um, when I run the D&D game. I'm, I might end up, anyway, I'm going to run the one with uh, my son, but I might end up running another one at some point as well uh, with one of our groups. Uh, and I think that that would be a fun thing to, to heighten the tension a bit. But I haven't done it yet. Have you ever had any moments where you flummoxed the GM because 
you solved his, not necessarily puzzle, but you figured out where the story was going before he was ready for you to? Our main GM makes some pretty complex storylines, so that doesn't happen very often with him. Uh, I think with uh, the guy who ran our, our 4E campaign, that that maybe did happen somewhat. Um, but it wasn't as big of a deal, let's say, because it was more of a hack and slash system that we were playing with him. So it wasn't, it wasn't too much of a, of a, ba- of a big deal and he didn't have anything too complicated. So I think he was able to just sort of run with it. Have you ever considered that maybe the complex storylines are just him changing the narrative when you figure it out? That could be, uh, it's uh, hard to say. It's quite possible. And he, he is very creative and he is a writer. So that could be that, but I no, I have not considered that actually. When you're a GM, did you have more fun stumping players or seeing your players take the reins and figure out what was going on? I enjoy watching them succeed um, and, and helping them to, to work together and fight new things and try new stuff and maybe get a little bit out of their comfort levels uh, and push themselves a little bit. So that that's the kind of stuff that I quite enjoy. I uh, I, I like to make them nervous once in a while, but not not too often. As a rather subjective question, but do you think you were a good GM? Well, they all said that they enjoyed it. Um, it's you know it's hard to say, but I felt that I did pretty good with the stuff that I had to improvise. Uh, I did better with it than I thought I would do uh, when I was prepping. So that's good. And and they they all wanted to play again, and they actually have expressed interest in potentially doing uh, more more gaming in that supervillain campaign. And there are more storylines that I could do if we, we do end up doing that. Would you say that you have ever played under a bad GM? Oh, yes. More so in the 80s when it was a, a bit trickier and a lot less... There was a lot less women uh, in uh, RPGs. There were certainly uh, places where I did not feel welcome as a, as a woman who was gaming... Most of them I only ended up doing for one session because I figured that stuff out pretty quick. But lately, it's uh, it's been a lot better, and I, I'm I'm really happy to see the resurgence. That's getting a lot more different kinds of people into RPGs because I think that's a that's a very healthy thing, and I think it's good for everybody. With tabletop gaming already being a bit of an insular thing, how did you get involved with groups where you didn't feel welcome? Uh, there was, uh, yeah, back in the day, uh, we, uh, there was billboard, uh, uh, boards at, uh, the gaming stores with groups, and there were times when the person who was my original GM had gotten a job and didn't have as much time, and, uh, I, I'm a few years younger than him, so I was still in school, and, uh, I was interested in playing, so I was, I was looking for different ways and different groups to play with, and that didn't turn out very well, unfortunately, for the most part, which is why I tend to, to stick with the people that I'm with now. Have you ever considered posting on a bulletin board at a game shop to keep people from having that same experience? Yeah, I've I've thought about it. I mean, people tend to to find games online more na- nowadays than, uh, but there are still some some local game shops that have that kind of stuff. And now I know I kind of know better uh, which shops would be more likely to have that experience and which ones wouldn't. That's actually one of the reasons I also one of the reasons I avoided uh, war games is because I found that to be. Uh, very testosterone-y. Anytime I've ever seen uh, demos of war games, it's almost been exclusively male, and it's been a little bit uncomfortable f- 
for me to try and approach it or learn it. Although, you know, I might enjoy it. I don't know. I just never had the chance or the comfort level to play. If you had one piece of advice for a new GM who's just getting ready to run their first session, what would it be? Mm, just one, huh? That's always tricky. Uh, well, I think it's the most important thing is have fun. Make sure everybody, including you, is having fun. Like, don't get too... Uh, you're always going to be stressed a bit as a new GM, but don't get too uh, hyped about it. Uh, try and just relax and enjoy it because your players will read that and make sure that, you know, keep an eye on your players, be aware of your players, and try and make sure that they're having as much fun as as they can as well, because it's, I think that that's the important thing. It's supposed to be about a group of people getting together and having a good time. It doesn't have to, you don't have to be perfect at the rules. You don't have to remember every little thing. It's more important, I think, to have a good time. If you could have one item from a game that you've played in the past, regardless of cost or whether it would actually be possible in the real world, what would it be? Well, I admit I've always been a little bit of a fan of chaos, so I always liked the Wonder Wonder. I thought that the Wonder Wonder would be a a fun, random thing to play with. And for the insiders who aren't familiar with it, what does the Wand of Wonder do? Uh, oh, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, too. Anyway, it's basically you roll, and there's a table of effects that can happen. It can be good things, it can be bad things, it can be silly things. You never know what it's going to do. Did that have a particular effect on one of your games? Uh, we did have one game with one in it, and I don't remember what ended up happening, but it was it was always interesting. I think it was my character that had it too. I don't remember what the character was at the time. It was probably that was probably during second edition, but it was it was uh, I don't know. I guess maybe it's a little bit of a not not a mean troll in me, but a little bit of a troll to just. Let's do something random and see what happens because nobody knows what's going to happen. And here we go. But I tried not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want it to harm any of the other players or anything. And I think we tried to make sure that that didn't happen. Keep it away. Only aim it at bad guys, even if it was a good thing. Would you want a relic like that in one of your games that you had to account <laughs> for? Well, yes and no. It, it would depend on. The sort of the flavor of the rest of the game. There are some some games that it would work with, and, and some that I think it wouldn't. Uh, like I wouldn't want to do that one with with the one um, I'm hoping to run with my son. I think that that would be too chaotic. It would be it wouldn't work well. But with the right group, it could. We're going to begin wrapping up, but before we do, I'll ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Bernard Pivo. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite word? Uh, changes all the time uh, as a writer. Um, I would have to say grace is my favorite word right now still. Um, I, I just like the word grace. What is your least favorite word? Again, that's yeah. there's a couple that come up often, but I have to say uh, slut is the one that I do not like. Has that been an issue in any of the games you played, or I uh, would think most potentially in those places that you didn't feel welcome? Yeah, um, certainly. I don't know if that particular word came up in those places, but certainly related things did. But yeah, no, that's just a word I've always found extremely negative and, and sexist, because the, the male equivalent seems to be stud, which is a completely different thing. Um, it seems very 
I don't know, judgmental, I guess is the word. And I try, try not to be a judgmental person. And I think people should be able to do and be who they are, um, without judgment. As long as they're not hurting, hurting anyone. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, oh, all kinds of stuff. Tabletop gaming, I find very uh, inspirational. Sometimes I get story ideas from uh, board games or RPGs. Uh, being around kids, I find uh, really uh, inspirational sometimes because they have such wicked imaginations and they don't really have... Uh, they don't hide them because they haven't learned that yet. So they're very, very openly creative, which I find interesting. What turns you off? Gatekeepers, uh, people who try and tell other people what they can or cannot be. Like I think if if someone wants to be a geek, for example, uh, I I go with the Will Wheaton thing of if you want to be a geek and you say you're a geek, you're a geek, and that other people should try and uh, make that decision for you. I say you're not a geek just because you don't know everything about every Doctor Who or whatever. I think that there are many variations of geeks, and that if you want to be one, then you can be one. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? I I think the, the one I'd like to hear more of is we're fucked, but I'm actually too nice of a person, so I don't actually hear that very often. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, sound or noise that I love is definitely children laughing, because uh, again, it's that, that, I don't know, that purity where they haven't learned to hold back, and they're just, when they find something funny or amusing, they just laugh. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, High-pitched, whiny stuff, usually from electronics, can get really irritating really fast. I remember the old CRT monitors used to have sometimes a whine, and it would drive me a, a bit batty. What game system would you like to attempt? Hmm. That's a good question, too. Uh, you know, one of the ones I've never tried uh, that could be interesting is, uh, I know it's very similar to D&D, but I've never actually tried Pathfinder. What game system would you not like to attempt? Anything that's really, really rules. Probably, probably BattleTech or something like that, where it's really, really rules heavy, and you have a lot of numbers to remember. Not that I don't like numbers, but uh, I, I do not have the best memory, so trying to track all that stuff would be very nerve wracking for me. When it comes to RPGs, you prefer the RP over the G. Uh, yeah, very much. Uh, I have played both kind of games, but uh, and I had kind of forgotten how much I enjoyed the the role playing part of it. But uh, I have really quite enjoyed that we've been able to get back into that now. When your game concludes, what would you like to hear from your players? I would like them to feel some sort of level of satisfaction and having felt feel like they achieved something. Um, feel like they had fun. Um, they enjoyed the story. That kind of stuff. If there was a young girl who was just getting into role-playing games who had to deal with the same kind of gatekeeping and negative experience you had, what would your advice to them be? Oh, uh, don't let anybody else stop you from doing something that interests you, even if... Uh, you have to sort of push out of your comfort zone and maybe run a game yourself because you can't find uh, a group uh, that you're comfortable in. Uh, don't be, don't, don't give up after the first try if it doesn't work. Just keep looking until you find your group. Are there any campaigns being run on Twitch or YouTube that you would point them towards if they were feeling discouraged about? 
participating in tabletop gaming? Yeah, there's a few good ones. I mean, um, I like, again, on Hyper, that they have both uh, Lauren as the GM for the Shadowrun game, and that they're going to have Bronze as the GM for Open Legend. That's nice to see. And I found that even though Valiant was run by Zach, which is fine, it was a very even group. It was a very mixed uh, group, so it was it was you, you got to see a lot of variety of of people and characters, and I thought that that was a very positive thing to see. Thank you for joining us in the studio today. Thank you. You can follow Gaia on Twitter at g a e a underscore c a. You can follow the show on Twitter at ITMS underscore podcast. You can also find the show on AudioEntropy.com, as well as other shows. For example, Burgers at Pops, Ashley and Rose investigate the weird but fascinating world of Riverdale. They talk about love triangles, murder plots, bad parents, and of course, burgers. You can also listen to Transmission Radio a podcast of amateur anecdotal advice from three trans girls, Molly, Jules, and Ashley. They talk about various parts about being trans, from dealing with societal expectations to hair tips. There's also plenty of goofs to make sure it doesn't get too serious. Or you could listen to Teenagers with Attitude, a Power Rangers rewatch podcast where four to five guests all take turns dunking on the host. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember... Most of us are as shy and nervous as you are, so give it a shot if it interests you. And never let anyone tell you, you don't deserve a seat at the gaming table.